Hey everybody, and welcome to another All Hallows podcast, the podcast that examines the mundane and the magical connected to Samhain, Halloween, and Los Dias de los Muertos. I had originally recorded the origin of the jack-o'-lantern for you tonight. Then I came across an excellent article by Leslie Bannatine, which covers the subject far more cogently than I could. With her kind permission, I'm going to read you the article. The Jack-O-Lantern Story, Uncut and Uncensored, by Leslie Bannatine. Edits by me, with her permission. Most explanations for Halloween Jack-O-Lanterns start with a story. This story. Jack is a jerk who tricks the devil out of capturing his soul time after time, until at last, Jack dies. However, heaven won't have him, and when Jack approaches the gates of hell, the devil bolts them shut, throws him a lump of burning coal, and tells him to get lost. Jack wanders forever in the dark with only this light to guide him. And there it is, Jack of the Lantern, or Jack-o'-lantern. There are just two problems with this story. It has nothing to do with pumpkins or Halloween. So how do we get from Jack of the Lantern, the jerk with a hellfire lamp, to Jack-o'-lantern, the Halloween icon? The Jack-o'-lantern erupted out of swamp gas worked its way through religion, and came out the other side into superstition, materialized as an early 19th century children's prank in America, and landed on Halloween through the course of about 500 years. And here is how it happened. The first Jack of the Lanterns were not carved pumpkins or lanterns of any kind. According to the 1637 book Curiosities, or The Cabinet of Nature, they were, quote, an exhalation bred near execution places, or churchyards, or great kitchens, where viscous and slimy matters and vapors abound in great quantity. End quote. Almost 200 years later, the February 1832 issue of Atkinson's Casket stated they were, quote, inflammable air which is continually exhaling hydrogen gas, phosphorus, carbonic acid gas, and occasionally sulfurous vapors, end quote. Jack-o'-lanterns were marshy meteors that flared up when they came in contact with electricity or heat generated by the decomposition of organic matters. The Latin name given to the lights was ignis fatuus, which means foolish or false fire. But the phenomenon was called by many different names. Kit, Meg, Willie, Jenny, Corpse Candle, Fairy Light, Spunky or Punky, to name just a few. Will-o'-the-Wisp and Jack-o'-lantern are the two you've most likely heard of. No matter how it was scientifically explained, the bluish winking lights were pretty much viewed by everyone as eerie. Early 18th century foreign travelers to Ireland reported that the Irish believed the lights were linked to dead souls. Not surprising, given that Abbot Peter the Venerable, who we should thank for writing the very first collection of ghost stories, called the lights Lanterns of the Dead in the 12th century. Over the centuries, people told each other stories to explain these lights, but increasingly they told a tale not about the light, but about the man who carried it. And if you've spent even ten minutes on the internet searching Jack-o'-lantern, you've seen the story of Jack, the Devil, and his light from hell. It's usually described as an Irish folk tale, and it is. It's also Slavic, Russian, Chinese, Argentinian, and Norwegian, to just scratch the surface of how widespread this tale is. The jack-o'-lantern in the early 19th century is both a character in a folktale and a fiery quirk of nature. In his fictional form, 
Jack is the kind of guy you'd expect to have an angry tattoo or train his pit bull to attack. In its incarnation as a bluish flame, the jack-o'-lantern is either a light that comes out of the darkness and scares the bejesus out of you, or one that seduces you into following, only to dart off and leave you sinking into the black water hidden under rotting moss. Neither incarnation is hallmark material, and we still have the same two problems. No pumpkins and no Halloween. Yet. But there came, between the Revolution and the Civil War, a perfect storm that created the uniquely American pumpkin jack-o'-lantern. It involved three things, darkness, a surfeit of pumpkins, and a generations-old tradition of hell-raising. Imagine no electricity, no moon. You know about this time of year. People whisper that it's when the night witches are out, when the spirits of the dead might rise out of their graves and hover behind a hedge, waiting for you. Overhead the wind kicks up and branches click like dried-out finger bones. You make it home, run into the house, wedge a chair against the door, and strain to listen. Footsteps. Have you been followed? There's a sudden rap at the window, and it's leering at you. A glowing, disembodied head with a deep black hole where its mouth should be. You scream bloody murder. When you look again, it's gone. This carved pumpkin trick was one of an arsenal of 19th century kids' pranks that included anything from freeing a neighbor's pigs to stuffing newspaper into their chimney and lighting it on fire. Cut the top off the pumpkin, scoop out the guts, carve a face, and wait for dark. Light the beast from the inside with the butt of a candle, and then, well, there were many delicious possibilities. You could hang it from the end of a stick in front of somebody's window until they screamed, and then run away into the night. Or you could pop up from behind a wall and scare the daylights out of whoever was coming by. You could even mount the head on a stick, cover yourself up with a sheet, and go out terrorizing smaller kids. The trick was common enough for John Greenleaf Whittier, born 1807, died 1892, to memorialize in his poem The Pumpkin, and it remained popular for nearly 100 years afterwards. But why? Why pick a pumpkin, carve it, light it up, and take to the streets looking for victims? First of all, a slight detour. Pumpkins have, since ancient times, been anthropomorphic. The pumpkin, in a previous incarnation, the Roman melon, was seen as empty-headed, an idea that carried forward into Shakespeare's time. In 16th-century European painting, the big, fat pumpkin was used to imply promiscuity, lust, or the crude, untamed wilderness of North America. People who moved to New England, in fact, were called pumpkin-headed, in other words, misfits or outcasts. In the colonies, it stood for survival, as the pumpkin got many a settler through the winter in the first years of colonization. By the early 19th century, though, the nation had modernized farming, and the fat orange field pumpkin was a symbol of archaic rural life. 19th century literature is rich with pumpkin farmers and pumpkin-headed men. Tales also sprung up about how fast-growing pumpkins were, how they seemed to move on their own. This is important for the evolution of the pumpkin trick into the modern jack-o'-lantern. In addition, pumpkins were in the air at this time literally and literarily. The story chronicling the mother of all pumpkin tricks, Washington Irving's The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, was an instant success when it was published in 1820. Newspapers as early as 1805 had occasional science pieces on jack-o'-lantern lights, or used the word jack-o'-lantern metaphorically to mean something illusory, or misleading. But starting around the 1840s, something new cropped up. Writers occasionally referred to the children's carved pumpkin as a jack-o'-lantern. After all, it appeared suddenly out of the ink-black night, 
glowed briefly and then disappeared. Here is the start of the jack-o'-lantern we recognize. Once people began to use the name jack-o'-lantern to describe the pumpkin trick, we finally had a pumpkin jack-o'-lantern. Within a few short decades, however, this jack-o'-lantern would become better known as a stationary Halloween party decoration, grounded and tamed. In 1892, the mayor of Atlanta and his wife, Mr. and Mrs. Hemphill, threw a Halloween bash. The next day's Atlanta Constitution described the decorations thusly. As the guests entered the hospitable mansion, they were greeted by all manner of smiling lanterns made of pumpkins, cleverly carved with faces. These pumpkins weren't popping out from behind a wall or riding on top of a stick. They were posed and smiling. It was the hostess that finally lopped the legs off our jack-o'-lantern. Halloween parties became popular beginning late in the 19th century, and decorations were pulled from the outdoors to set a rustic atmosphere. Cornstalks, apples, pumpkins, and even wild turkeys and pigs in crates. It wasn't long before the rural jack-o'-lantern was co-opted by the imaginative party giver, and then eventually American business, as jack-o'-lantern-themed party favors grew more and more popular. At last, the Halloween jack-o'-lantern. But now we have the opposite problem. His origin story, how Jack came to be a wandering light, is the origin story for the wrong jack-o'-lantern. Once jack-o'-lantern met a carved pumpkin decoration, instead of a rootless light, the tale of Jack and the Devil no longer fit. Modern writers had to bend the tale to make it conform to what they knew about Halloween. To make the jack-o'-lantern story relevant, they fit a pumpkin around the light and set the story on October 31st. While jack-o'-lantern lights were used by adults to explain some pretty serious topics, souls stranded in purgatory or the restless dead, the jack-o'-lantern trick belonged to children. Even more, it belonged to country children. Anyone who's grown a pumpkin knows it takes a lot of earth and water to nurture a vine, and it's hard to imagine too many of them snaking up the crowded stoops of -of turn-of-the-century American tenements. Kids in Brooklyn, Chicago, Washington, D.C., and elsewhere disguised themselves on Halloween and ran wild in the streets, begging for coins or sweets and whacking people on the back with socks filled with flour or soot. It was mostly kids in America's rural towns who terrorized the jack-o'-lanterns, and nobody really seemed to mind. The trick didn't show up on police blotters the way other Halloween pranks did. It was portrayed even in the very first mentions as nostalgic, a trick for a young child, more charming than dangerous. Something was happening to the jack-o'-lantern and Halloween as the 20th century unfolded. A general sweetness washed over our culture when it came to children, and Halloween celebrations were focused more and more around them. The jack-o'-lantern softened. If you take a look at the Halloween postcards of the early 20th century, you'll see how adorable and childlike they became, plump, almost rosy-cheeked. In fact, within 50 years of its debut as a Halloween symbol, the jack-o'-lantern had become a comfort rather than a fright. Once it became porch-bound and legless, the jack-o'-lantern lost its menace. Certainly, the marketing of whimsical jack-o'-lantern favors and cards had something to do with that. But truth to tell, kids themselves eventually jettisoned trick in favor of treat. There just wasn't time to sneak around trying to scare the little kids with a pumpkin when there were parties and parades and, eventually, house after house with bowls of candy bars inside. Not only did the jack-o'-lantern become a ubiquitous decoration, but it was now stationed on private property, moving from instrument of terror to object of vandalism. Ironic. But priorities had changed. Jack bought the severance package and retired to the front steps. Or did he? 
The original trailer of John Carpenter's Halloween in 1978 went like this. Medium shot of a smiling jack-o'-lantern next to bold letters spelling the word Halloween. Midway through is a shot of the same jack-o'-lantern grinning happily on a nightstand next to a bed where a body lies murdered. Final image is the jack-o'-lantern, the bold-faced title, Halloween, and that creepy five-quarters time theme music that gets under your skin. The movie took what had become the most innocuous of symbols, the most childlike and innocent, and subverted it to horrify. If the suburbs, symbolized by the lit pumpkin, could breed unmitigated evil, if jack-o'-lanterns could seem monstrous even by association, was anything safe anymore? The movie Halloween played on the same sense of fear that the myth of the psycho who puts razor blades in apples did. Something dangerous and evil is lurking under the ordinary. All along, it was the jack-o'-lantern's unpredictability that made it scary. That it could suddenly appear out of nowhere gave it a certain sort of fearsomeness. That you weren't sure what it was, what it could do, or where it came from made it unsettling. And remember that Jack, the character, was always a bit of a thug. He does a deal with the devil, for goodness sake. Right next to the friendly jack-o'-lantern that graces children's books and party napkins has re-emerged the jack-o'-lantern that can terrorize, hurt, confuse, or even chase you. Jack-o'-lanterns, says much of our contemporary iconography, are not as innocent as you think, and they never were. I hope you found that informative. On our next podcast, we'll be talking about carving jack-o'-lanterns roasting the seeds, and some cool things you can do with them. Until then, stay safe, wear your masks, and happy All Hallows. Thank you.